Thunder. Well, there we are. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to Six Feet Under the Radio Show. I'm Can you come up with some uh, radio, some radio names, real quick? Radio names, just like, like real quick. I mean, like X is a pretty good radio name. That's true. So is Medibot. Now that I come to think about it. All right, so I, th- I think we can just sort of keep going with Plan A here. All right, so it's X and Medibot on the twos. I'm gonna lean back from my mic though because I definitely just made a clip with that. All right, I was a little too excited. Ah, uh, that, that's that's fine. I mean, it's our it's our first show here on the air on W6FU. As you know, all previous Six Feet Under this episode have been broadcasted through the Earth itself. Yeah. Uh, but this, this is coming time. to you live over the airwaves. Yeah. It's definitely this is definitely when you whenever you're hearing this, it's definitely happening at that exact moment in time. Keep your headphones on and don't turn around. So, so what's what's in the what's in the docket? Is it in the docket or on the docket? What's in or on the docket today? Well, Medibot I was just going to take a little look at our uh, 13questions.tumblr.com and pick out some of the good questions and answer them. All right. What are we going to do with the bad questions? Physical challenge. Physical challenge. See, you know this isn't a real radio show because I would have uh, some kind of audio clip there. But maybe I'll just edit it in. Physical challenge. Challenge. I don't challenge. Need to do that. Challenge. So if you like, you can pull this up as well. I don't know how quick that would be for you. Yeah, oh yeah, I've got it uh, right here in my fist. Okay, well, I have a question here for Mint's Gelato. Oh, what? I missed one. Does Mint know about the Banach-Tarski paradox in where one may take a single orb and make it two orbs of the exact same shape and size? Okay, so let me... (laughs) You, this is this is why I hate those popular science magazines, is because people who don't want to actually try and understand scientific phenomena read about some weird discovery or something, and then they talk about it like they think they're an expert. So let's first of all, that absolutely Binoc- applies to me. I the Banach-Tarski cool paradox, in name only, for it is neither. Um, first of all, you know I say that because. Like, they call it Banach-Tarski, but actually Banach and Tarski would, like, not even that relevant to the development of this theory. It would be more properly called the, um, the, well, it was, it would, really, it's, it was all um, Dr. Hamden um, who really put it all together. But Banach-Tarski made a fancy-looking infographic, so I guess they get all the credit now. Um... But it's also not really a paradox, is the other thing. It follows extremely reasonably, just sort of counterintuitively, um, you know, for someone who does not know about how orbs start behaving um, when they are drastically reduced in size. All right, speaking of drastically reduced in size, hello, Gnome. Alright, so... Now, see, the problem here is that um, we're both recording with Audacity to test it, but you're not. So, to folks at home, you're going to sound like a ghost. Okay, now, we're all going to have to say 3, 2, 1, sync, 
And with that magic incantation, Gnome will suddenly become audible to the folks at home. Everybody ready? Three, two, one, sink. Sink. All right. Hello, Gnome. Hi. You've been pulled down from the airwaves and into physical form. I exist once more. We uh, We were just discussing orbs. Orbs. Orbs are good to discuss. Right, so the 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 Hamden principle is a much better name than Barach Tarski paradox for this. Essentially, um, is a set of equations that governs how orbs will behave once they are sufficiently small. I want to say around the you know talking radius of around a couple hundred microns. Um, because that's the only scale at which you can reasonably do the sort of duplication that the question that asker is talking about. So while it's a very interesting physical property, and it may eventually have some ramifications at this time, it's not like I can just you know, take one of my orbs, chop it in half with an axe, and then suddenly have two of the same orbs of the exact same shape and size. Furthermore... Um, you know, they, they they read that headline like, oh, they split an orb into two of the same orbs. And it's like, yeah, that you, you also missed the line about the massive amount of energy this requires um, at this point. Again, I don't know. So I can swing an axe pretty hard. You can. Um, but you need a different kind of energy as well. Not you just axe swinging energy. You got to be hydrated. First of all, okay, never I'm do science when you're not check. hydrated. Um, Gatorade. Um, this, this is this is magic, though. You're going to need some haterade. Okay. Um. Actually, we don't really have much haterade because most of our fans are pretty nice. Oh. No, go 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 down to the corner store and get us some. <laughs> you were the last to the one to show up, so you, you, you got to the, the opposite team of your area. So, Mint does know about the. Eight sets of air quotes, Banach Tarski paradox, which is to say the the Hamden principle, um, and knows that it cannot be used at this time to increase his orb count exponentially. Do you have a sign hanging? Does Mint have a sign hanging in his office that says "Free Orbs Tomorrow"? Just to keep himself motivated. Um. Yeah. Let, let's say that uh, in his. In his work area, he has he has a sign that says "Free Orbs Tomorrow." All right, rubber stamp it. One there down. We go. Let's see. It's what canon now. We, what else do we have in on or between the dockets? Oh, let's oh see. between the docket. That's that's. I think we want to go with that one. Here's one from somebody whose Tumblr name I'm going to censor slightly. Uh, Frick Boy Ed asks, "When's Thrump gonna print up the signs for his head intern bid?" Trump 2016. Um, Trump 2016. Uh, so I guess we have a head intern position now? Um, what are their responsibilities? Paperwork. Paperwork? What are their responsibilities at Equinox Manor, actually? We should probably get some. I mean, basically, I... Uh... The only the only person I'm really in charge of shouting at is is Peppercorn, and I usually just try and waste his time and make sure that he's not trying to like do anything off the record or you know 
essentially that he's not trying to just build a machine that will let him finally take vengeance upon me. Um, okay, so we need at least one intern in Mint's department that's just devoted to watching Peppercorn's Right, department. making sure Peppercorn is not trying to stage a coup. He also needs like some kind of code name to that position to so Peppercorn doesn't catch on. No, um, call it like, um, you know, maintenance supervisor. Rake. Oh, yeah, maintenance supervisor is way better. I was just gonna say rake surveillance. Uh, we gotta gotta go with as many syllables as possible. Ventilation inspector. All right, rubber stamp it. No, wait, that doesn't actually answer the original question, which was, uh, this is one of the intern's duties. So one intern would be assigned to that. So would the head intern just uh, be, would they just assign all the other interns to the different intern duties? No, because the interns get assigned by, you know, whoever brought on the intern. I think the head intern just gets a better poking spot. Oh. Well, to answer your question then, uh, Thrump is probably never going to print up any signs for that because uh, Thrump quit being an intern when he became Scarlet's Apprentice. Yeah, that uh, that definitely disqualifies Thrump from running for that position. So there's currently a massive power vacuum among the interns. So if, so any, no if power vacuum there would like to apply to be an intern at Equinox Manor and attempt to fill this power vacuum... Um, you're not fictional, which is a little... Makes things your, a little awkward, bliss. but probably not impossible. Follow your bliss. Case closed. All right, case closed. Put it back in the docket. Okay, let's see. Oh, here's one. Scarlet, is it true that a wizard's staff has a knob on the end? And, of course, Scarlet isn't here in person, but as we discussed earlier, uh, we've been granted um, full power over the timeline and universe in perpetuity. So I'm just going to go with no. I, I think right. it's like a 50-50 thing. I'm, yeah, and I'm going to go with yes, so we have the full spectrum of All answers right, there's here. there's 50-50. Thank you. Case closed. Case closed. Wizard staff has slash has not a knob on the end. For Ironicus, from Psychanthrope, I should, I should, the last one is from Anonymous. Uh, this one's from Psychanthrope. Uh, for Ironicus, what were your plans for the Lich King's phylactery and actions if it wasn't dealt with? So I, I, I can actually, like, answer this without even uh, pretending, because I sort of have to find it in the episode where Nav fought the Lich King with some terrible friends they were bad bad friends uh, we pretty much decided that the phylactery was going to be the entire island of necropolis and uh the shards of oblivion that he took from the tomb of the first orc lord to keep him from being revived he kind of pointed those outwards out towards the entire rest of the island so that he couldn't connect between his body and his phylactery so that was pretty cool and honestly like what what happens to a phylactery when a soul when a soul uh, goes back to it? Obviously, it grows a new body. So what would have happened to Necropolis? Obviously, it would have turned into a giant walking golem. Uh oh. I can see how we got to that point. Yes. All right. So maybe we revived the Lich King. Look. The point is, 
But we also destroyed the Lich King. Yeah. So we're even. Once again, much like in the quandary of the wizard staff knob, um, it's fine. Is the ultimate decision here. It's fine. Case closed. We pulled it all out. We did. Case closed. Uh, We also got an anonymous question a while back. Uh, If the gang was to combine into a robot, who would form the head? Um, We had actually—I had definitely forgotten about this question from anonymous, but now we can absolutely definitively say that Nav did, as we as we've now seen. And they just forgot to install a speakers in the mouth. So yeah. you couldn't hear me, but I was definitely being very active during that battle. Trust me. It was good. We were, we were doing poses inside the robot. And so, you know, when, when they switch to that camera, you can see us doing the cool poses. All right. Case closed. All right. Stamp it. Stamped. All right. Here's one, another one by Anonymous. Anonymous sure is a prolific question asker. To anybody willing to answer, how bad does it get having to bunk with everyone else on the battle van? I mean, not bad at all. There's the battle fun. van's like summer camp, but a good yeah. summer camp. The idyllic summer camp that right. you probably never actually got to go to as the, a kid. Kind of the opposite of the one that I went to. Yeah, it's... Isn't that funny how that happens? The idyllic is the opposite of the real. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of sad. Dang it. Anyway, there's like a hot chocolate dispenser. Well, you gotta say that. Beds. Oh, yeah. Are we doing bunk beds? But everybody has their own bunk bed is the thing. Right, so, so that you can keep one for you and one for your plus one. Yeah, so, so far the only person with a plus one has been Nav, who's had Agatha, and so far the only person without a plus one who has still used both beds has been the many, who is tall enough that they just kind of bend into a C-shape, like out out the bottom of the top bed and back onto the bottom. And yeah, it's, it's fantastically awkward. unusual. But that's just uh, what you have to expect on uh, something as fantastic as the battle van. Yeah. Are there any other dream features on the battle van? No, as long as we're on the subject. Um, I mean, uh, there's the uh, there's the the yogurt machine. The yogurt machine, yeah. Are, do you um, think all the food dispensers are like one machine with a whole bunch of different nozzles? Oh, I don't know about the other food dispensers. I only made the yogurt machine. Well, I, I mentioned a hot chocolate dispenser earlier, and I'm wondering uh-huh. if, like, could, could you have hot chocolate-flavored frozen yogurt, and would it be hot and frozen at the same time? Yes and yes. Oh, man, I'm really glad that Mint got into food dispenser technology, because I mean, it turns out he's really, really good at it. Basically, I might have just still had one of the manuals from when I worked at the restaurant, and occasionally I'd, like, they had, you know, that kind of machine there, and so sometimes I'd have to fix it. Um... And, you know, I just, at some point, you know, the manual got lost, and so we got a second one, and then we found the first manual, and it's like, okay, we got an extra manual, and I'm just like, hey, can I can I just keep this? And they're like, yeah, sure, who cares? You're the one who always has to fix it. So, you know, I still had that with me and used it to basically, you know, the manual was detailed enough for me to basically replicate it, mostly. So, it mostly works. Rarely contains uh, flakes of rust. 
So what you're telling me is they no longer needed the manual because they had mint the automatic? Case closed. Rubber stamp it in the docket. Let's see. So here's a good question that we can answer even though Scarlet isn't here. Another one from Anonymous. Uh, hey Scarlet, I heard that sorcerers can't breathe fire because the red doesn't share the power to do so. Is that fact? And if it is, what about you? So I think the obvious answer is that uh, the way that Scarlet breathes fire and the way that the red breathes fire is probably the difference between like a candle and the sun or something like that. I mean... I mean, no like, disrespect to Scarlet. I, I guess it's it's like the, the red doesn't show the power. Like, okay, you're not showing. I have my own. Great. Yeah, exactly. Now that's that's sort of how I feel her position is. Also, like, the, the, the here's the thing about the three. Let me tell you about the three. Is you know a lot of sorcerers sort of tap into their power. Um, because sorcerers sometimes like to cause problems, and the three sometimes like to cause problems, and so there's this mutual understanding of problem causing. You know, not 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 really alliance, but a, but an understanding. Um, but you know, that's that's not going to necessarily be the case for any given elder dragon. Um, here's what I do know: is that they they don't own sorcery as much as they like to think they do. Yeah, I mean, you are I, I speak somewhat from personal experience on this. You know, it's like I'm not. I'm. They're they're extremely powerful, and they definitely are the source, the power source for many other sorcerers. Let's let's make sure those facts are definitely on the table. They're not the only game in town when it comes to like magic that wizards think doesn't count because it wasn't learned from a book. The Red likes to think that it's the Dungeons and Dragons of sorcery. Yeah. Thinks that nothing else even exists and it's wrong. But you know what? Don't bother trying to argue with it. You'll you'll get nowhere. You don't want to tell one of the three that they're wrong. It just doesn't end well for you. You just just not say, hmm, yes, very good. Good. Okay, bye. What if Listener, what if your next 13th Age campaign uh, that you're planning to GM, what if uh, it all gets kicked off because you're a party of first-level adventurers tell one of the three that they're wrong and the entire rest of the ten levels is just dealing with the repercussions? That seems like a pretty good one unique thing, honestly. I told the Red they were wrong and I lived to tell about it. Oh, that's a really, really good one, actually. levied a direct insult at one of the three and was not instantly removed from existence (laughs) by the various means that they are capable of removing things from existence. Although, speaking of the three, you know who I just remembered? Who's that? Nomi. Hi. Oh, Nobi. Now now I don't even remember their name. Nobi! Was, Was it Nobi? I always think it's one, and then I think it's the other. It's Nobi. We haven't seen Nobi in a very long time. We haven't seen Nobi in a while. Nobi is sufficient. Nobi Nobi gave me a lot of good ideas, I think. I mean, I don't don't know if I got them from Nobi, but I guess I was around Nobi, and at the same time, 
Wait, I got a lot of good ideas. Just just a whole bunch of ideas, new plans, big plans. So how do you picture Nobi? Because I picture Nobi as like a big friendly mass of semi-transparent blue tentacles that's like glowing in the middle. So sort of like a, a little bit like one of these chew toys I used to have for my dog that was just like a transparent sphere with a light in it. And when you bit it, it lit up. Mm-hmm. That's Nobi. I guess my understanding was Nobi is like, is perfectly spherical, but you can't tell because if you try and look at the edge of Nobi, you just won't be able to. Do you just see a flat line? That's Maybe? Like a thing with circles. Maybe. Maybe? I mean, Maybe. I think you just sort of get a headache and your eyes won't want to look there if you try and look exactly at the edge. What if you look exactly at the center? Do you just see a bit, like a s- smile? Then, well, I mean, depends on how Nobi's feeling. But usually, yes. Good. Uh, I kind of wanted to answer this question just to share an idea I had like when I was GMing a little side game at one point where the Red Wastes, it's within lore that the Red Wastes were caused by the Reds incredible molten breath and i added on that like everybody survived sort of but they kind of turned into like zombies a little bit like they're still in the process of being burned out and until the time where they actually are burned out which may take the entire rest of eternity they are yeah they're zombies Mm. pretty brutal so yeah, that's that. Yeah, Scarlet doesn't have that power. Scarlet's magic, as we've discovered lately, is edging more and more towards like self-actualization, which I'm kind of a fan of. Uh, the many has been doing some stuff with that. I think the idea has kind of been that uh, no two students of Scarlet's school of magic would ever cast the same spell twice because it would be altered by their own individuality. Uh, individuality to a degree that other spells and schools do not. Like casting a classic fireball, two different students might, it might look a little bit different. This one might be a little bit more blue. This one might be a little bit more lava looking or something. But I wonder if it's even to the point where a spell of Scarlet's school, I forget what it's called. I forget if Scarlet named it I don't think she's named it yet. Not yet. But... Uh, let's see, I think Scarlet herself has some kind of dragon skin ability as a defensive thing, and I have to wonder if, um, a human or a slime cast that same spell, if it would be something completely different, depending on who that human or slime happens to be. Maybe for the slime it would just make everything go right through them, just enhance whatever natural defensive capabilities are already there. That's the kind of magic school that Scarlet's getting into. Defining her own power of human skin. Yeah. It, oh man, what if it just grew a really gross hairy barrier? Mm-hmm. People are basically covered in hair, except like if you shave it off. But then it, it'll come back in like a day or two. Yeah. I wish it didn't though. It's kind of, I mean, power to you if you like it, but I don't, I don't, I don't like That's that. kind of a pain for, yeah. for me personally. Yeah. But importantly, we each have that choice. Yeah. 
We can self-actualize it just like in Scarlet's School of Magic. And I wish I could self-actualize all the hair on my body. Be stamp a, it. Stamp it into the docket. Okay, let's see. Okay, here's another good one from Anonymous. So, what are the capabilities of Srip's Sound Fist? Is it a permanent existence now, or does Bella need to constantly concentrate to manifest it? I think that probably depends uh, on which stage of the adventure you're thinking of. Early on, Bella probably did need to concentrate at least a little bit on it, but especially now that, um, especially now that Bella's powers are back in full effect, and considering even in the, during the time that they weren't, the Sound Fist was doing just a okay, that it probably it probably grew on its own, you know? Probably grew to have its own existence. Yeah, just sort of this self-sustaining resonant frequency. I mean, Rip himself is really loud. That's true. Maybe, maybe, maybe Rip has a little bit of that same magic, but he just, it, his version of it is just being really loud. But that mixed with Bella's is enough to sustain it. He feeds it sound fuel. Yeah. Just by screaming all the time. Just, like, it, if, if Rip was ever really quiet for, like, a full day, then the sound fist would dissipate, but that's never, ever going to happen. That's basically impossible, except under duress. Even uh, the, I don't know. What duress can you imagine that would keep Rip quiet? Trapping him in a field of silence? I don't know. I, I feel like he's too day, loud for that. You know? I mean... It's like, this is a fireproof suit, but... What if you time. gave him something good to drink, and there was enough of it so that he'd be, he'd drink it for the whole day? I don't know. I think Without at some taking point any he's breaks. just enjoying it so much that he starts laughing while he's still drinking it, and he's just pouring it all over himself. Uh, maybe, maybe we got maybe, uh, Rip to do a napping contest with somebody. Oh right no, his snoring! People. No way, his snoring. Uh, was the snoring way plenty to sustain the sound fist. Um, like yeah. I think the I think the drinking thing. Would that might do it if he cared about cleanliness a little bit more? But as it is, right, he it's obviously doesn't care about spilling all over himself at all. It's know? it's it's really interesting because even though he's he's not consciously attempting to preserve this behavior, but just you know from environmental pressures, uh, will always maintain this behavior, right. Be, like and he doesn't know why it's correct to do, but if he stopped doing it, he'd immediately know why it wasn't correct to do, or he, why it wasn't correct to stop. So it, it's like you know when when you have some instinctive behavior and you're like, wait, why did I do that? And you you will never be able to figure out why. But if you didn't do that instinctively, you you would have died years ago. I think it's probably for the best that uh, so far. Uh, the 13th Age, the Rogue Elements, hasn't dug too far into the mysteries of Rip. Because that's... It's not like it's not like Bella's... It's not like Bella's mysterious past in magic where Bella herself is equipped to deal with it. It's, it's like Rip. Epic level characters just aren't equipped to deal with Rip. Yeah, we're not ready yet. Maybe at level 15 or so we'll be able to delve into Rip's nature. Maybe we'll and find some answers on the moon. Because, I mean, who, who knows? Why not? Stamp it. <laughs> stamp no, it. Wait, don't stamp it. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fine. Do we want to talk about the moon? 
I'm just going to write under the stamp real quick that when we were first talking about Mercury, we did design him as having the a, a chunk of moonstone in his chest. I didn't know that. And then we've referenced it a little bit with uh, Slots, Slots's farewell letter. So hey, if you forgot about that too, there's your reminder. Maybe it won't come into play. What if secretly everyone's been affected by weird moon stuff? I mean, the moon has been well, in the not. sky for a long time. Yeah. So. Who knows? Okay, we're running out of space. There doesn't mean he owns it. Well. Oh, maybe he does. I could be wrong. I guess we'll find out. And I, mean, I just ran out of space under the page under the stamp. Oh. So stamped it too soon. Sorry about that. That's okay. We're you know it's still the first radio show. We're still getting the format down. Let's let's answer one more. One more. Just one more. Out just of the one docket. Last thing. Final what do you docket. Think of this the final docket. This one's on fire. So I better read it quick. Hey, Grant Handsome, which one of you is grand and which one is handsome? Also, does Mint have groupies yet? That is once again from Anonymous. And the first half of the answer. We don't even need to discuss it. Each of them is obviously one half grand and one half handsome. Like, or fully grand and fully handsome. But I don't yeah. think you can really easily divide them up like that. That's that's not how grand handsome operates. Much like the Banakatarsky paradox, you cannot divide grand handsome into two equal spheres. Well, yeah. Bella's obviously a little more grand and Rip is a little more handsome. Or maybe vice know? versa, depending on the day. I mean, Depending like, but then if you, what, what if you turn your head like this? Ah, what a grand angle to which to view Rip's chin. There you go. It's that kind of thing. But the, I really just wanted to discuss the second part of this question. Does Mint have groupies? Um, definitely not. Does uh, 0%. Metallic Orb have groupies? Does, oh, okay. That's technically a different question. Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's the interesting part of this. It's like... Does Mint have groupies? No. Does Mint have other types of fans? Does Metallic Orb have groupies? Here's, here's how I think of it. Is that, like, there was only really one show with Metallic Orb? I, I don't know. You, what about the, the mercenary that you handed Metallic Orb off to, though? Maybe Metallic Orb has lived on. Uh, that's lived true. On. So now there's, there's the just Legend of Metallic Orb. Okay, so here's Legend of Metallic Orb, is that when you when you have Metallic Orb, you practice with it, and you play one show with it, and then you have to give it to someone else. So if you go to see Metallic Orb in concert, you will never see the same Metallic Orb twice. Hopefully we got an album for the Grand Handsome featuring Metallic Orb concert. Yeah, they wrote it on rocks. Just normal rocks. They weren't just, in the shape of regular rocks. So uh, there, there, there's this weird undercurrent of uh, sort of music aficionados who claim who are starting all sorts of rumors about the nature of Metallic Orb. It's like okay, they all know each other, or they all work for the same person, and that person is like the real mastermind. Um, and they, you know, they, they teach, they, they recruit someone who are like, okay, you're going to play one show with this thing, and but there, re- there is no mastermind. That's the best part. And they release like one animation every four years. Yes. And everybody think that's part of some grand paradox, but really it's just, you know, the, 
metallic orb only really gets into the hands of somebody who knows how to animate like once every four years. You know, it's a pretty unique skill. It takes a lot of willpower to complete an animation. Also, that one fan game Metallic Orb had once. But it wasn't even a fan game, I guess, if it was made by a Metallic Orb. You know. Right. It's, it's you know, a lot, sometimes when someone receives the Metallic Orb, you know, they, they because they were deemed a worthy recipient by the previous wielder of Metallic Orb, um, you know, they they use that opportunity to compose a piece about how they feel about Metallic Orb. So it's become this this multi-layered self-referential entity where initially you know, Metallic Orb was simply itself, but then Metallic Orb became about itself, and then it became about being about itself. And so it's, it's built up these, this, at this point, you know, you, you'll never dig back to the bottom, so essentially infinite layers of historical self-reference inventing facts about itself and then referring to those facts at a later time. Um, referring to things that will happen in the future and then someone desperately attempts to make it true. Uh, so it's it's really this, this weird sort of almost cult-like object among fans, groupies of Metallic Orb, these, these devoted followers of Metallic Orb that are always trying to figure out where will Metallic Orb next appear? What will the next wielder be like? You know, will it will it be someone I know? Will it be me? You can never really be sure. They, you know, they a lot of them hope that they will be the next Metallic Orb. All you can do is be ready. All all you can do is just try and be ready to receive Metallic Orb. All right, follow up question: How long do you think until someone tries to make a tribute to a previous Metallic Orb? With oh, the metallic I mean, that's orb. probably... I mean, that's already happened several times. Yeah, that's oh, like... Okay. You know, the biggest fan of Metallic Orb so is going to be time. Metallic Orb. So, it's like, oh, I'm giving you this... I'm giving you this orb because you're the biggest fan of Orb. And you are the only one worthy to bear Orb. And you have one chance, you have one song to show your love of Orb. So... Really, in that sense, maybe almost all of the songs, except for the times that the orb was given to somebody who really hates Metallic Orb, because uh, that bear had a real sense of irony. I mean, Metallic Orb wants to express everything that Metallic Orb can express, and that that's, ranges from self-love to self-loathing. And then there are the people who just don't like Electronica. Nobody, nobody listens to electronic music, Hicks. Yeah, sorry, Metallic, sorry, Metallic Orb. Sorry, okay. Metallic Orb. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, Metallic Orb. It was acceptable whatever. at the time. Well, let's stamp that. I, that. I think it's only appropriate to end uh, with this little song, Metallic Orb Demo Mode, by Thylacinus Thylacine, who does a lot of the Six Feet Under music, uh, including... All of the 13th Age tracks so far, um, the Laws Out music specifically, and then I'll just usually reuse some of the many tracks that they've done for 13th Age because there's just such a great variety at this point that it covers a lot of stuff. It's real good. Here is a sample. Good night, folks. Good night, folks. Atomic 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 Atomic